Today I'm here with Sarah, a respiratory therapist who also suffers from chronic cough, and Dr. Imran Satya, an internationally renowned expert in the fields of chronic cough. Among his many accomplishments, he's currently an assistant professor at McMaster University and was a co-author on the most recent ERS chronic cough guidelines. He has been an invited speaker at national and international medical conferences and has authored numerous publications on the mechanisms and treatment of cough. Dr. Satya is here with us today to debunk some of the most common myths regarding chronic cough and perhaps change our perspective on the way we see this chronic disease. Also, we'll discuss what specifically is needed in Canada in this day and age to help those with chronic cough. So thank you everybody for joining us today. Dr. Satya, we have a few questions for you if you're hopefully willing to answer them for us. I'll try. Um, okay, the first one is, um, <clears throat> pardon me, in your opinion, what are some of the most common myths around or regarding the chronic cough? Okay, that's a very uh, difficult question because there's potentially so many things I could say. Uh, but let me let me have a stab at this by saying, I think I, I suppose the first thing, Sarah, that I've found generally within patients, but also a lot within physicians in primary care and secondary care, and my colleagues, is that chronic coughing is a minor issue which you just have to learn to live with it doesn't really cause any significant problem in your life and you've just got to carry on living with this. And the reason I say that is because by the time patients come to see me, it's oft, if, oft, they've often seen three or four other physicians and they've probably waited five to eight years to come and see me in a cough clinic. However, what I see and what I hear from patients that it isn't a minor ailment that uh, it has had a significant impact uh, on people's relationships, on their jobs, um, had had impact on their work life, their employment, their income, uh, and people have terrible physical symptoms such as chest pains, uh, abdominal pains, and urinary incontinence, particularly in the women, which is a terrible uh, consequence to, ha to, to have. So in my mind, this is a common myth, which I... I don't think it's uh, true um, that it's a minor ailment. Um, my second, I suppose, related to this issue is, is that um, there's a myth that chronic cough, it's just a symptom of another disease. And if you find that other disease and treat it, everything will get better. And often, therefore, chronic cough is not seen as a distinct disease entity in and of itself. It's seen as something which is secondary to lots of other things. And most commonly, those are considered to be things like asthma, reflux disease, and upper airway and nasal symptoms, post-nasal drip. These are the common three things that people often attribute to chronic cough. But I would ask or rebut my colleagues and my friends who say this by saying, if you go to a reflux clinic and sit in the waiting room, and people who've got terrible heartburn or indigestion. Th these patients are not coughing hundreds or thousands of times a day. If you ask pregnant women who suffer from terrible heartburn, particularly in the first and second and third trimester as, as they're progressing, they can get terrible incapacitating heartburn, but they don't get a cough. They don't have chronic cough. If you go to a, a, a moderate to severe asthma clinic, and sit in the waiting room, they have my other symptoms of wheeze and breathlessness. And some of them do have chronic cough, but they're not coughing the hundreds and thousands of times a day that often patients with chronic cough are. So in my view, there's something else going on. 
on top of those diseases. Those diseases, they may be, they may be, I view them as triggers or associations, but not the direct cause of co co causing coughing. And I think that there's another bridge between those diseases and the chronic cough, which is causing that. And I would call that uh, this idea of that this is a cough hypersensitivity syndrome, where the nervous system, which is responsible for making people cough, has become too sensitive and too responsive. And that could be in the periphery between the lungs, the throat and the brain, or it could be related to the brain itself being more sensitive. Um, so I think that that's another second common myth that chronic cough is, is not a disease in and of itself. And now there's so much more data and research that I've been involved in, which, which is clearly now showing that chronic cough is a, a distinct condition. Um, and the third thing relating to this, I suppose, is that you, people with chronic cough, we can't do anything for, the, for these patients that, you know, once you've tried inhalers, puffers, and um, uh, uh, nasal sprays, that's it. You, you've come to the end of the road and nothing else can be done for you. Um, and I think that's another myth because we've now, over the last 20, 30, 40 years, you know, there's so many more uh, medications out there that people have trialed um, to control the coughing. Um, and even non-medicinal options, there's people who do speech therapy, which in some patients, not everybody, in some patients, that has a significant improvement in their coughing. In many other patients, they require low doses of morphine sulfate or pregabalin or gabapentin or these types of medications which are designed to reduce the cough hypersensitivity component. And the other promising thing is that now we have novel new clinical trial data uh, of a medication which blocks the P2X3 receptor. Um, and the one that is most recently been talked about is something called Jefferpixan, which has clearly shown that inhibiting this receptor has a dramatic improvement in cough frequency. And we're hoping that over the next coming years, we're gonna have a whole new class of treatment uh, for this condition. Uh, so I think those are the three myths, which I think um, I, I'll, I'll stop at. Um, <laughs> And, and, and uh, I hope that's been of some interest to the, re the listeners. Those are all greatness. And as you know, with me being a patient as well as an RT uh, with a chronic cough, those are definite myths we see in, in society. And hopefully, yes, we're going to clear them, right? Yep. Hopefully, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. So another question we had for you was a lot of patients with chronic cough will say um, they're using cough syrups. Mm. What is uh, your opinion about the use of cough syrups for the treatment of it? So from an academic perspective, I do know that a number of groups have done meta-analyses and Cochrane reviews on this subject, and they have found that, generally speaking, overall, over-the-counter cough, uh, over cough syrups don't have any significant improvement in cough frequency more than placebo. That's the bottom line. Uh, most of these cough syrups have a combination of medications um, such as dextromethorphan, uh, which nobody really knows how it works, but again, it's a centrally acting medication. Some of them have the addition of codeine in it, small amounts of codeine if you look at it. So there'll be dextromethorphan, maybe codeine, some, some don't. Um, other medications people add in is something called guafenazine or, or menthol even. So these are all things that people add in to try and reduce um, coughing. Um, but from a clinical trial and research perspective, none of them have ever shown any benefit. Some people, however, say that the syrup itself 
has a demulcent effect on the throat. That it's not, it might not be the actual medication that's helpful in some people. Some people find that the syrup, this, it soothes their throat. And that's also why I think one of the reasons why people suck sweets is that when you're sucking the sweets, whatever it is, it's actually having a demulcent soothing effect and the swallowing is actually inhibiting the coughing. Because I always, one of the things I mentioned is that it's impossible to cough and swallow at the same time. So if you're continuously forcing yourself to swallow, then what you're actually doing is you're inhibiting the coughing by actually swallowing. Um, so, so these are the kind of, you know, my own view is that some people might find that cough syrups might be helpful. Uh, I would just be careful about using too much cough syrups because some of these can be addictive and, and some of them obviously have low doses of opioids in it as well. Uh, so just be careful about using these over-the-counter cough syrups. Okay, that's a good, good answer. Um, there's a lot of misunderstandings and confusion as well when it talks about um, causes of chronic coughs. Is there a true known cause? Or as you've sort of said earlier, there's probably mm -hmm. a variety of triggers, but do yeah. we have an actual cause? Yeah, yeah. So that's a very good... Um, I've kind of briefly talked about it before, but the way I view um, people who cough a lot is that my the bottom line which I think is going on is that we know that cough is a, a nervous or neuronal reflex, which is activated in the peripheral nervous system, and your brain then processes that and makes a decision to say whether or not to cough or not. Generally, cough is seen as a defensive mechanism. We cough to try and protect the, protect the lungs and protect things, bad things going into the lungs. They could be chemical things, could be mechanical things like foreign body and objects and peanuts. You know, we would all cough if we were to send a peanut down the wrong way. That's normal. That's supposed to happen. But somehow, for some reason, people with chronic cough, that system has become too sensitive. And you have these other conditions like asthma, reflux disease, nasal disease, laryngeal sensitivity, which are kind of, I see as things which trigger and may sensitize that system and are therefore have made that system more sensitive. And sometimes treating those triggers is important. And sometimes we do see that, that somebody has asthma, we treat the asthma, cough gets better. That does happen. And that's why it is important to investigate the under, potential underlying triggers and associations. So I, 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 that's still very important in the diagnostic algorithm that you've got to go looking for, like a detective, what could be something underlying that might be triggering and sensitizing that cough reflex. And the other important thing is that, as I mentioned, the fact that now we have specific blockers for coughing, which is working, that also corroborates this idea that there is something very specifically going wrong with ATP in the lungs or in the upper airways. So that again is is um, is taking us towards that that chronic cough is a is a is a distinct disease. Yeah, so it can be mixed in with the asthma and everything else, but it can also be its own entity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But some people don't have anything. You you investigate and it's completely unexplained. There's nothing, yeah, nothing that I can find. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. chronic cough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Okay. Bearing in mind that there are so many myths and misunderstandings, yeah. um, what can be done to educate the public and prevent or misunderstandings or preconceptions, misinformation, mm -hmm. that sort of thing? So I think 
education and awareness has to form the bedrock of any type of uh, getting rid of or demystifying or debunking such myths. Um, and I think we all need to do our bit, physicians, healthcare providers, uh, and patients themselves. Um, you know, we, we have different tools now available. Uh, we have podcasts like these. You know, I spend a lot of my time talking to patients and talking to other healthcare providers. But it's very important that we um, disseminate the knowledge that we currently have about chronic cough to as many people as possible so that they understand um, what acute cough is, what subacute cough, what chronic cough is, what investigations to do as in the primary care, what investigations should be done in secondary care, what investigations might be offered in tertiary care, and what are your treat treatment options. I fully appreciate and understand that that journey can be a long one. It can take, in some cases, many years, but I think five years is too long. I think somebody who has chronic cough more than eight weeks, within a year, I think that that's something which is achievable to try and uh, improve uh, and get to the bottom of somebody's cough within a year of seeing somebody. Um, and I think that's a good, good, good target to have. Um, so education for sure um, is, is very important. Um, I suppose the other thing is, is in our, um, within Canada specifically, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to work on is to try and create a better network of cough experts who can learn from each other. Uh, we have a good network of people in Ontario, but we're trying to develop links with people in Calgary, Alberta, Edmonton, um, and the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, and I hope that by creating a network of cough specialists that we can help each other and spread the word and improve the care of patients suffering with chronic cough in our individual localities. Um, in cities and urban and rural areas. So we, we really need to do a lot of work around creating a better network of cough specialists. And I'm hoping that over time uh, um, that um, patients themselves will be able to form some kind of uh, a group themselves, which we can, as clinicians and healthcare providers, work with. And together, we can start asking some deep questions about why have people suddenly develop this chronic cough in the first place. You know, somebody's been fine for 40 years or 50 years, and then suddenly we, we, we understand that there's been this problem with this uh, cough hypersensitivity, but what I can't tell you is why has that happened in the first place? And there's a lot of work that needs to be done around the, 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 the switch that has happened and can we actually recognize that predict that and stop that happening. So there's a lot of research that needs to happen, but in order to do these big research projects, we need a momentum of experts who are really willing to invest and, and champion this cause. Um, so I'm hoping th those things will, will certainly help um, uh, as well. Perfect. And, and like I said, you've got me on board. I'll definitely help you. Um, so this one, the next question I have for you is pretty near and dear to my heart because with mm. the current COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. there is a large stigma that has developed around mm. chronic cough. You, you cough, it's like you've got the plague. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of my friends know me, they know my cough and they'll actually stop people and go, it's okay, she doesn't have COVID. Yeah. So what's your advice for those who struggle with it on a daily basis like myself? Yeah, so I, mean, so I think this is, this is a very tough question because 
there's no right or wrong answer and, and nobody really knows exactly what to do. But part of this, the answer to this, this lies in the education piece and the awareness piece is that not every cough is COVID. Yeah? Right. Um, so that's the first thing I think from a, from a public perspective, the public need that awareness to understand that there are, you know, there's a considerable number of people in, in Canada, it could be as high as 10 to 14% of the general public have chronic cough. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I think that people need to understand that not every cough is an infection. That's the first point. From, a, from your perspective, from a patient perspective, um, I think it's difficult because what we do know is that people with chronic cough, they find it more difficult to voluntarily suppress their coughing. So we know from research that compared to healthy people who can just think about not wanting to cough and actually make it happen and not cough. Whereas people with chronic cough, they can't do that. And so often people, you know, will say, oh, just, just stop coughing. <laughs> That's actually not very helpful. No, not at all. <laughs> not at so all. that kind of advice is not helpful. So I would tell your friends to, 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 to not say that to you because it's, it's yeah. actually phenomenally difficult to, for chronic cough just to voluntarily suppress their coughing. Um, I don't know whether or not uh, you find in your, in, your, in, your, in your opinion, in your practice, things like, you know, swallowing, sucking sweets, drinking, um and and even wearing a mask some people actually find the mask a problematic they find it very claustrophobic and humid and dry so right. they often don't like wearing the mask which is a bit of a concern but thankfully now we don't have the mask mandate um uh, uh, in public we don't have to wear that um in healthcare settings and long-term care we still have to wear the mask to protect our vulnerable people but generally speaking you know not everybody's masking if you can mask great if you can't then you know, you don't want to make your cough worse. Um, if you do cough, you know, try to cover your mouth by putting your hand above your mouth to, to make sure that your, 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 the aerosol is not flying around everywhere. And that might reassure your friends and colleagues around you. Uh, so trying to cover your mouth is very important. And that's general advice. Um, but yeah, I think th those are probably my, my tips is that, uh, you know, the, I feel sorry for patients who have chronic cough and the stigma that's associated with it in these times. Um, and, you know, this, again, this is causes significant anxiety for people to go out. I have patients who are just scared to go shopping because they say, you know, what if I start coughing? And I, because some people, as you know, they have a coughing fit and once they start, they can't stop. That's and right. so they're scared about going in public. And if that happens, you know, how are they going to deal with it? So, so this is a this is a major issue um, which we need some more support for. I think certain. It's absolutely true. It's a genuine concern. Going out for a meal is another big one. I find mm. um, because yeah, if you, you're always afraid you're going to go into a coughing fit, yeah. as you say, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much, Doctor Doctor Satya. Sorry for uh, doing this for us today. It's definitely one of those ones that we have to continue to research, support, get communicated, because it's a really important and yeah. really important um, mm. topic that we got to keep going with. So thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, uh, Sarah, for having me and uh, for Respi Plus for organizing this. It's been great. Thank you.
That's it for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and were able to get a few insights from our speakers. Make sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the upcoming episodes. We'll be publishing a new podcast the first week of every month, so stay tuned. You can also follow us on various social media platforms. Just look for Expand Courses by Recipe Plus.